Welcome to the Nashville Women's Health Podcast. This podcast was created as a way to provide education and connection to the women of Middle Tennessee. My goal is to connect you with local women's health and fitness providers so you know what services are available in your area. I am your host, Amy Bailey. I'm a local women's health physical therapist, yoga instructor, and life coach. Thank you for joining the podcast and being a part of this amazing community. Welcome to another edition of the Nashville Women's Health Podcast. It's your host, Amy Bailey, and today we are going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects. I, well, it's a love-hate relationship. Let's go with that. We are talking about endometriosis today, and um, all of my episodes, I have tried to bring on an expert in the field to help me kind of hash out whatever we're talking about, and so today I decided to spin it and bring on a patient, someone who actually has endometriosis. So Erin, thank you so much for joining me. I yeah, know, thank you for having me. Yeah, I know it takes some incredible bravery to put your story out there and everything that you've kind of gone through over these years um, with endometriosis, but I also think it's very important for our listeners to know what endometriosis is and to know what people who have endometriosis go through from a personal standpoint. I mean, totally. we can Google it all day long and get um, symptoms, but it's not usually the real deal what people really go through with endometriosis. Yep. So for those of y'all who don't know, endometriosis is a condition that is very poorly understood. And it's typically thought of as tissue that resembles the, endometrio the endometrial lining of the uterus, but it's not the endometrial lining. It is just similar to it. And it grows outside of the uterus. So it can attach anywhere in the pelvic cavity. I have heard of it attaching to lungs, the nasal cavity, uh, wrapping around fallopian tubes, the rectum, the intestines, like it, it just can really spread anywhere within our body. And that's confusing to people just because we don't know is our pain coming from endometriosis or is it something else? So, and there's not a lot of studies on endometriosis. So it's really a tough condition. And most people um, are diagnosed by symptoms and not a clinical diagnosis because you have to surgically go inside of someone to actually diagnose it. And there are very few surgeons who are really skilled at diagnosing it. It's very complicated. Um, yeah, I mean, is there anything I'm leaving out, Erin, just from your perspective on this? Um, I mean, my, yeah, my experience is that they aren't even going to mention the word endometriosis at any point of you talking about certain symptoms that are actually pretty common to endometriosis in your appointments. So what does so it say to you? What do you, you might want to bring it up. <laughs> yeah. So that's a great point because diagnosis is usually lacking. People wait seven to 10 years, they say, to get a diagnosis and see up to 10 healthcare providers before they even know what's going on. So what was told to you before you even heard the word endometriosis? I'm, I mean, literally my whole life, like in eighth grade, I had periods three weeks of the month for when I got my period. And that went on for a year. I gained 40 pounds. And um, they took me in. And my parents took me in. And they're like, oh, we're buying a little too, many, too much product. <laughs> and, um, and they said, oh, she's got a hormonal imbalance. And then they put me on birth control. And that, nobody said the word endometriosis. Nobody like that wasn't even mentioned. And then in my twenties, I tried to go off birth control. Okay. Um, just because I was like really getting into health and I, I just wanted to be off medicine. And, um, and I was also struggling with 
like yeast infections in my twenties. And, um, I got off of it for three months and it was, I was, I didn't have these three week periods, but I had, they were just so, it was so heavy and exhausting and, um, the cramps and everything were so bad. And I, you know, my, my gynecologist said, well, it'll take three months to adjust to the, you know, getting off. And then I went in on the third month and I said, I can't do this. Like, I can't do this. I fell asleep in a, in a hotel room traveling for work, um, you know, on the floor, fell asleep, you know, more like I passed out <laughs> from probably just losing blood so quickly. And she never said, she just said, well, we'll just put you right back on it. I mean, she never said anything about the possibility that I had some kind of, you know, health issue or something. Um, nobody said anything to me until, until I was like getting MRIs and I was in like devastating, you know, debilitating pain. Nobody, nobody said anything. So. And that's confusing. And I think women just think, oh, well, I have periods. They're painful. That's how it's supposed to be. That's my plight as a woman. And that's not how it's supposed to be. Oh, and the no. <laughs> issue, it does respond to hormones. And so I think that's why most people get the increased pain around their period. Um, I know at one time it was very believed to be estrogen driven. I think some of those theories, there still is an estrogen component, but it has more, more components than that. I mean, the cause of endometriosis is unknown at this point. There's a genetic link and into or an inflammatory link, um, an autoimmune link. And we're just still trying to clarify really what causes it. But we do know that a lot of the symptoms escalate around our period. And yes. so I think at first, the typical treatment was just throw some birth control at it. Yeah. <laughs> Press it. Suppress the symptoms Press the only. Symptoms. Yes. And you could still have growth of these areas while your symptoms were suppressed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty common. Do you have friends with endometriosis? I have one friend that I know of um, with endometriosis and they only knew about it because they were on a fertility journey and, um, couldn't get pregnant. And so that is the only reason that she even got the, she had surgery. Okay. Yeah. And she, she's, um, she's doing well now they're, but they're trying to have their second and having trouble again. Yeah. And I wonder if, <laughs> um, cause I don't know who she had the surgery with, but I just wonder if, you know, it didn't quite get it all. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what we can talk about surgery in a second, um, just how common it is. It's like 15% of American women have endometriosis and most, I, I guarantee you more women than that have it because mm, they're absolutely. undiagnosed or they think they may have it, but they can't get a true diagnosis until they do surgery and they don't want to do that. Um, but yeah, as far as the surgery, uh, most surgeons are skilled in the ablation procedure, which is not the gold standard anymore. It's the excision procedure. Mm -hmm. And there's very few OB gynecologists, urogynes who are trained in this excision surgery. So kind of, uh, and just so our listeners know, you have not had surgery at this point yeah. in your I, career. <laughs> if you will. No, and I didn't, I didn't have surgery. This, I, I think this is really unusual and not something that's, it happens to anyone else, but they were able to just do the biopsy in my gynecological exam, just through the vaginal wall. So I didn't have to have the uh, surgery to do, to get the biopsy, which good. typically you would need to do. Get your answer, which is good, but you've been through a lot. So kind of walk yeah. us through your journey. You've seen, I can't countless health professionals 
you had <laughs> numerous MRIs. Kind of walk us through <laughs> what this has looked like for you. Yeah, so um, I never worried about my my period really that much. Um, I just stayed on the birth control. Um, and then four years ago, I started having this horrible pain in my, what I thought was like my glute in my right glute. And I mean, I was like for two days, I, I remember calling my mom. I was like, this is, I was crying. It was just so painful, but I was positive that I had pulled a muscle or, you know, got had sciatica from exercise. Cause I was, I was really into fitness and, um, and then it went away. And so, you know, I was like, Oh, just pulled a muscle. And then the next month, um, I was at a conference and we, it was a pretty, uh, a conference where you are very active and it happened again. And every, it was kind of a motivational conference. Everyone's going, just push through your pain. Your physical pain is your emotional pain. And I'm going like, no guys, like this is really bad. <laughs> like, I'm not okay. So, um, at the same time, just completely separately, I had had spotting for a year um that was lasting like most of the month and it was like it was kind of a, an annoyance in my relationship because you know it's gross and um and I didn't I didn't know what to tell him as to why I was constantly spotting and my gynecologist was like well you just need to switch birth control because like sometimes and I'm going no I've been on the same birth control for forever so that I don't think all of a sudden that um that's just like intuitively to me, I was like, that's wrong. So I'm going to get a second opinion. So I went to a totally new, uh, I went to Vanderbilt and, um, had, had my exam and I mentioned this, this random pain that I was having, but I definitely didn't think it was connected. I was just telling them like everything and they're in there and they're like, they're going, huh, huh. And they're having these weird conversations and other people are coming in the room and I'm like, what's going on down there guys. It's been like 45 minutes. And, um, <laughs> They did the biopsy. I, did, I don't think I even knew they were doing a biopsy. Nobody mentioned the word endometriosis, by the way. Okay. And um, and then I, you know, I got the call back, and she said that's that's endometriosis, and she kind of explained what it was. But um, we, there wasn't any worry about it. I mean, it was just like this is endometriosis. The treatment is birth control. You're on it. Um, you know, I wasn't telling them I had horrible cramps or anything that you know, you know, I did, I was like, really, I actually didn't even, I don't think I even believed that I had it. Cause I was like, well, I don't have like textbook symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't think I have pain with sex. I mean, like, unless it's been going on for 30 or you know, 25, however, how old am I? <laughs> um, 15 years or whatever. Um, so, uh, but you know, then, you know, you're always like, well, maybe I have, been. I don't know what normal is like, what is normal? Because this is just something I've adjusted to for so long. That's just like my standard is, is that this is fine. Um, so, um, at the same time, I was started to see other doctors, neurology for this nerve pain that I was having in my, in my glute kind of figured out this nerve pain. And, um, the neurologist goes, you know, I think this is endometriosis. And I was like, huh? Like that, you know, that was such, that's actually such a crazy thing for a neurologist. That's a very advanced thing for a neurologist to even connect. But I was telling him it's happening during periods, the nerve pains happening during my period and it's not in between. And it was like really excruciating at this point. And I was so frustrated because I was having trouble getting in. I was a new patient, right? I'm just like in devastating pain and I'm having to wait months 
to get into to a neurologist or months to get into a new gynecologist or whatever. Um, and my PCP was not on top of it. She was, you know, missing, you know, saying she was sending my, um, my records over and then I'd call the other place and they were, so you have to stay on top. I think this is when I started learning. You are the only one in charge of your health and you have to stay on top of everybody and you have to be annoying and you have to call and you have to follow up and you have to call again. You have to follow up again. And when they say they're going to do something, they're probably not going to do it. They're busy. Um, so that's really important. That was really important in my journey. And so the gynecologist who diagnosed the endometriosis, she did send me to an an endo specialist. So I went to see this endo specialist and she did the exam. and, And at this point I was really I had a really hard time with the exam, which I hadn't really had that before. So I guess all my muscles were spasming. And she said, you've got a lot of pelvic floor stuff going on. You need to see a pelvic floor PT and um, you need to have surgery. This is, um, she had, she had ordered the MRI with Contra. I had had an MRI and it showed nothing. And so she ordered an MRI with contrast. Months in between these, by the way, <laughs> at this point, I'm, 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 I'm fully in chronic pain and I'm in bed and I'm not working and I'm not doing anything. And the con- the MRI with contrast is what showed a 4.1 centimeter mass uh, lesion, as they say, and in, in my pelvic area, mostly on the right side, totally corresponded to the right side sciatic type pain that I was having at that time that we thought. And she said, you've got to have surgery. You've got to have surgery right away. She said it, it was very scary. She said a lot of scary stuff about me, me not walking and um, how aggressive this was growing. She couldn't have known that, but she was saying this is growing aggressively. And in a month, you're not going to be able to walk and all this stuff. So, and she wanted me to start taking Lupron Um and explained how that was going to put me into early menopause and that I would be on it for six to 12 months and we would do repeat MRIs. And at the, at the end of that, we would um, do surgery and how she was going to have all these people in the room, a GI person for bowel involvement, even though I wasn't, I was telling her I'm not, well, I, I, that actually did have a lot of stomach problems. Um, that like a lifelong go with stomach stuff that I managed. So I was telling her, oh, no, no, my stomach's fine. But like, really, it was just major management of stomach problems, (laughs) like through a very clean diet. And I had a sensitive stomach. I had to avoid all these different foods. And I had to, you know, um, I used a heating pad in the morning to relax so I could go to the bathroom, things like that. I just didn't even think of as like a big deal. And I certainly wouldn't have been like wanting to sign up for surgery to fix. (laughs) Um, but yeah, they, they probably all were related to the endo. Um, so yeah, Wait, tell me when I need to. I'm moving into my closet because I have a very loud <laughs> You've got the kids. They're like, mom. Yeah, I totally apologize, everyone. This um, classic work from home mom move. <laughs> I know, I'm in the closet. Hopefully the sound is okay. But yeah, there's so, good there are so many things I want to bring up here. Um, okay. The cost of your disease. In itself, yeah. the multiple uh, days of missing work, the multiple oh. providers and copays and deductibles, um, yeah. 
Yeah. And then pads and tampons, if you're still having a period or multiple periods, um, your relationships with um, your partners or friends, even that's a concern in your work. You said you've missed work or you were out of work, right. um, you know, just the psychological impact that that has on our lives. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, it was so scary. I'm sure. I'm sure you have to kind of change your whole world around oh. endometriosis. Absolutely. Okay. The other thing is you've had multiple providers who went from very conservative management to very aggressive management. So as a patient, like how do you even balance that to know what's right for you? I mean, yeah, I, I would, I would say when she presented these aggressive things that I'd never heard of, I mean, this disease I'd never even heard of, um, you know, there was definitely some trauma and shock. I think my in the, I was having to make from what happened. I think it froze for a second, but you're good. Keep going. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tough when people are telling, and I was so new to this disease and I didn't know anything. Um, and yeah, I was hearing surgery. I was hearing aggressive medicine. I went home and Googled Lupron and I'm an advanced Googler. Okay. Like I know the difference between people who are just up there with their like crazy one-off stories and their emotional, you know, commenting and, and like real research and the Lupron research was bad. It was terrible. You know, like it really scared me. I was like, I can't do this, especially as someone, I'm over here, like very holistic. I don't even want to take medicine. And, um, I'm reading about how legally you can't even take it for longer than I think six months. Yeah. Um, I think 12 would be like special circumstance or something. I mean, like they will not even prescribe it for very long because it is so harsh. Um, and there's all these law, there's a whole lawsuit, uh, website against it for the long-term lasting effects after you're not even taking it anymore. Yeah. So I was like, I just felt so <sighs> hopeless with just no options, which one thing I always have to remind myself is that there's always more that you can do. There's always another thing that you can try always. So, uh, and somebody said that to me in that, at that time. And that was a real, because if you think there's nothing you can do, I mean, that's, that's just a really hopeless place to be. Um, but there is, there's things you can do. So yeah, it was, it was really, it was a really hard time emotionally. And I, it was hard. I, w I was very emotional and it was hard to make decisions, yes. <laughs> you know, and that's from that place. That's a great point. You know, yeah. we're overwhelmed. We can't even be clear headed enough to know what's right or what's good for us. Right. And you said it earlier, you said you are the one who's in charge of your health. Yes. And I think that's important for healthcare providers to remind our patients that they have more control than they think they do. And we have to encourage them to find that within them and give them tools. If they can't do it right now, give them tools to help them find their strength and know that they do have control over their, over their lives, even exactly. with pain. Yep. It's your choice. It's your choice. If you choose to take Lupron, that's great. I mean, that's your choice. You know, you can actively make a decision for yourself or, or the same with surgery or whatever. But, um, yeah, you, know, you said something else. Really you said, you know, I didn't even know what normal was. And this right. is 
common for people with chronic pain, and they consider chronic pain anything over three months. If you're experiencing any type of pain for three months, you've fallen into a chronic category. And chronic pain literally changes how our brain perceives pain. Yeah. So we aren't able to modulate things well. So sometimes we may have a little bit of pain that we feel is bigger. And sometimes we have a big pain that we don't even perceive. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a very longer you go ahead. Yeah. You have it. The, the more the message has just sunk into your brain to transmit. Yes. And, and, you know, people say, Oh, it's all in your head. This pain is in your head. It's not made up pain, but yes, now it is in your head and your brain and your nervous system. And how it is. <laughs> yep. Yes. Exactly. Okay. So just to kind of go through some of the symptoms, and I just want to clarify, I see a lot of clients with endometriosis or suspected endometriosis or even just pelvic pain. If we kind of group it into a pelvic pain category and the symptoms are all across the board. So when I say there are typical symptoms, if you Google endometriosis, you're going to see certain symptoms but I've seen so much more than this. And some clients don't even have any of these symptoms that are on the typical list, but painful periods, pain with intercourse, pain with bowel movements and or urination, um, excessive bleeding. Infertility is very common. They say up to one half of clients with endometriosis have difficulty conceiving, uh, fatigue. And then we go into the bowel and bladder, nausea, IBS symptoms, diarrhea, constipation. And those are just kind of the typical ones. But you're yeah. also mentioning nerve pain, musculoskeletal pain. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. I get pain in the left hip that I do think is related. It's, I have things on the right side, but I think what's going on in my left hip is definitely um, related somehow. Yeah. And these leads- but The doctors would be like, oh, it's a hip flexor tear. I mean, that's kind of what- <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. And every doctor who's a specialist is going to look at you through a different lens and say, oh, I yes. think this, and that can be awfully confusing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, at some point I saw a spine person and he, went, he, he did some x-rays and some things in my hip MRI and he said, well, you've got some calcification in there. So it's probably that. And it's like, hmm. <laughs> well, I always say this. I am a 43-year-old woman. And if you did an MRI of my back, it would look <laughs> a hot mess, I'm sure. I don't even want to know. But I have zero back pain. I have no back conditions right now. And so we, they can be very misleading. So we don't want to just... <clears throat> exactly. Certain providers to just throw tests at us. And then we find out we have all these other things wrong that are not really the root cause of what's going on. So yeah. just being cautious and being your own advocate and asking questions. And being yep. an expert Googler, like you said. Yep, expert Googler. Take it with a grain of salt a little bit. Um, but these lesions, they can actually bind down to one another and to other structures within our body. So you may not have endometriosis in your intestines, but you have a lesion nearby, which can cause fibrosis to your intestines, which yep. can cause pulling on muscles and fascia, which can cause pain. So mm-hmm. you're doing your left hip it might not have endometriosis near it, but because you have it on another part of your body, it's affecting your left hip. And that, that yep, totally. Yeah. More than one time when I've seen you and I'll, like, I'll, I'll have an endometriosis flare up, like a period and everything, and then it'll be done. I'll know that it's over, but I'll still be in pain. Right. Like, and I'll, I, I call it residual pain, but I guess what it is, is just muscles dysfunctioning and I'll have to, I'll go in to see you. And I just remember this one, I had this, um, 
my learning is pudendal um, for like, it, it was just for months. It was just annoying me, right? Like I was like, oh, this isn't excruciating, but it, like I can't sit for very long and I can't go to restaurants with friends. And we did some work and then it, I was like, good. Like in a couple of days I was better from doing my own exercises and stuff. So it, it was like, that wasn't the endometriosis, but that was a dysfunction that had started up due to the flare up. Right. And the inflammation around endometriosis can cause nerve inflammation and gut issues and all sorts of things. So from my perspective as a pelvic floor PT, I try to give, I try to, I love manual therapy. I love putting my hands on my clients and I feel like there's so much value to just having someone put their hands on you. But I also want to put the control in my client's hands and give you the tools because I'm not available to you hundred percent of the time, but for you to be able to treat things on your own when you do get a flare up. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about, cause it's a multidisciplinary apo- approach to a treatment in my opinion, you know, yes. I think, um, you definitely have to have an OBGYN or a Eurogyn or both involved in your care. Um, but then there's other support personalities that want, you know, are necessary. I always think a public floor PT is necessary, but you know, chiropractor, acupuncture, counselor, nutritionist or dietitian, functional medicine, dog, like the, it's a huge, that it all. <laughs> are there, certain, by the way, and I know you've seen all of the massage therapists, acupuncture, if I didn't already mention that, but are there certain disciplines or professionals that are your kind of go-to? that you know, you don't have to name things. I'm just talking about like a discipline that are helpful in your I really like acupuncture um, for like all kinds of weird symptoms too. Like just, um, I'll just go in there and just be like, you know, I've got tension or I've got some sinus or I've got, I'm just, I've got like a a neck thing that probably is from like the stress of holding my body weird with the pain you know, and she can, I just, yeah, I really like acupuncture. Um, but yeah, I mean, pelvic floor, the pelvic floor work is how I get like the, the, the chronic stubborn releases and also helps me during the flare up. Um, the, the exercises that we, that you've given me help me during the flare up. So that's great. And then I think this is so like, as soon as I say it, I know people are going to roll their eyes, but meditation has been so invaluable and just the guided, like you don't even have to do the, the, um, the, uh, I, I really am into hip self hypnosis ones. Now you can just find them on YouTube and they'll just hypnotize you into this deepest, deepest relax relaxation. And some of them like will talk you through like self healing visualizations or whatever. But, um, I think that doing those every day, not when you're in the, when I'm in the heat of it and I haven't been doing it every day, it's not as amazing. So yeah, I would say meditation and acupuncture for sure. Chiropractic, I think helped me with other, like just some basic back pain that I just, my lower back hurts when I stand like, Mm -hmm. um, but um, I didn't think it helped me much with other endo stuff. You know, and just going back to the meditation and the acupuncture, these are things that calm our nervous system and your nervous system can quite easily get upregulated. Yes. Especially when you're in a flare up or fearing that a flare up is is even coming because it's a cycle. So you kind of anticipate the pain or the dysfunction. As soon as I have a hormonal symptom, 
Like if I have nipple tenderness or, you know, anything that like a period is about to come or for me, like my pain, actually my nerve pain is actually after my period, a couple days to a week after it ends. So during, when, as soon as I see the period, I, well, I'll, I'll actually cry because <laughs> yeah. I'm just dreading the future. So yeah, it's staying kind of in a good space on your good days is important. Yeah. you know, and you know, I'm a freak about diaphragmatic breathing and just, oh, yeah. <laughs> just how it can calm, calm our nervous system. I call it like a little self massage for our vagus nerve, which helps yes. just bring us out of that fight or flight and calm us. We still may have pain, but at least we can ad- address it uh, in a more sound mind then when we've kind of calmed yes. our nervous system and said, okay, I have some tools that have been given to me to help me manage my pain. There is no cure for endometriosis. So it becomes a self-management lifestyle change type of um, treatment in a sense. And diet is huge too. And I'm probably not the best person to talk about diet, but um, there's a lot of evidence in how diet affects, of course, inflammation, but helps people with endometriosis. Can you talk a little bit about your diet or what specifically, you know, might make you feel worse or better? Yeah. Um, I cleaned up my diet in my twenties because I was having the yeast stuff and I'm pretty much, I haven't detoured from that too much. It's, um, well, I'm allergic to dairy. So that was an easy one. And then, um, and I, I also just don't eat red meat and, um, pork either. And I made that decision really young, but as I've learned about the endometriosis stuff, that was a good decision. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's pretty unanimous out there that, that red meat shouldn't be doing it with endometriosis or any in, inflammatory diseases, uh, most diseases actually. Um, and then um, I, I, I eat healthy carbs, but I do eat carbs. And um, what else? I pretty much just try to stay away from sweets, but I'll eat dark chocolate here and there for sure. And then I do all the supplements, so many supplements. And I think in the last couple of years, what I realized I was doing, and I think a lot of people do with diet is they restrict too much. Mm -hmm. I got so into what I couldn't eat. I was really focused on what not to eat. And then you're kind of like, well, that doesn't leave me very much, especially if you're like rushing around in a hurry all the time. And so I, I, what I realized was eating the same five meals or something like the same thing every single day. And so last year I I got really into how can I introduce a lot of variety and color and eat vegetables? I don't always eat. Um, like, Oh yeah, I was eating broccoli all the time, but it's like, I'm only eating broccoli, carrots and salad. Like, it's like, I got to get some, like some box, some like more like things that I never eat in there. And so when I did, I actually really do feel a lot better having the variety. I think variety is actually more important than I realized. Yeah. Well, you can get bored, you know, eating the same thing. (laughs) Boring too. Yeah. And I think food should be joyful and social and we should Mm -hmm. enjoy it. And it shouldn't just be all about restriction, but yeah, I mean, sugar, alcohol, caffeine, gluten, there are certain things that are kind of triggers for pain and inflammation. Um, and I think, yeah, yeah. I have some great dietitians if anybody needs a reference for those, especially ones that specialize with um, endo or IBS or even pain symptoms. Um, 
So general, just lifestyle stuff besides nutrition, stress relief, which you touched on with the acupuncture and the meditation, um, sleep. That's a big one. Yeah. So important. Sleep is so important. And sleeping, going to sleep at like the same time every night too. And just kind of creating behaviors around sleep. I think with all the, um, the world's stress right now, I've had to really get strict about like TV never really used to bother me at night, but now I've really started to create a good ritual around bedtime a couple hours before. And, um, my therapist told me recently, don't get into your bed until you are ready to go to sleep. The bed is for sleep. So don't get in there. And, you know, he's like, you could read a book on the couch, um, and in your bedroom or something like in a chair in your bedroom. Um, if your couch is like too far away or something. And I, I thought that was really helpful for me because I was getting in and then kind of looking at stuff on my phone for a couple of hours, even if it was like good, healthy, like mindset stuff. But then I just couldn't, couldn't, I got a little too used to being awake and in bed. Yeah. Well, and that can, you know, pull on our neck and create tension and pain before we yeah. go to sleep. It doesn't put you in a relaxed state. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're right. These, like we call them sleep hygiene in my world, sleep hygiene methods to try to come up with a routine, you know, to calm yourself before you go to bed. Yeah. That's, that's critical. Um, one of the things that you said to me early on when I first met you was that you didn't feel like you had a lot of support. Um, and that just hit me in the heart. Like when you said it and you gave an example that I don't know if you want to share here or not, but just of a, someone who left you in a time of need and it just yeah. really touched me. And so I felt that support is critical for anyone dealing with pelvic pain. So you and I together started a pelvic pain support group yeah. and we have moved it virtual because of the pandemic. So we do it once a month via zoom, but from my perspective, it's just a way to connect people who have similar stories so you can feel that you're not alone yeah. and that Absolutely. you have people who understand what you're going through. So can you talk a little bit about why that's so important to you? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of just, you know, life that people who aren't experiencing what you're experiencing, they're just not going to fully understand. That's okay. You can't really expect them to, um, and some, some friends are, are better than others, you know, like some, some friends are just have a little bit more of that built in empathy or, or, or they just try a little harder or whatever. But yeah, like it's a kind of a lonely, at the end of the day when you're in your house and I mean, it, no one can really understand and, and it's a lonely feeling to have a disease and to have this dread and to have to be constantly managing it. And, um, but yeah, other people have it and, and it's important. It's just important. I like, it's important to go to therapy. It's important to, um, have a group and to have other people, um, who understand. And yeah, yeah. Somebody, I was in a like extreme pain crisis, like on the floor, like considering going to the emergency room and my friend didn't, she just didn't understand. And she had to, she was like, I've got to go run this errand. And she, and she left. And it was, you know, it was really, that was really, that was really hard. Um, so yeah, it's good to have people that more than one person around you that is, um, supportive. Yeah. And I get what you're saying. Not everybody is equipped to handle that. But when you told me that, I was just like, we've got to do something. <laughs> we went into like 
we got to put a band-aid on this. We've got to fix this mode. <laughs> but you know, the pelvic pain support group is just a way to connect and to provide a little bit of education. It's not really a treatment group, but it is just a really a way where people can have other people who understand and empathize with what they're going through. Um, so if anybody's interested in joining our pelvic pain support group, it is free. We're doing it via Zoom one time a month. I think we're going to try to do it next Tuesday if you're good with that. Um, mm -hmm. That, it was, that will actually be the day after this comes out. I'm trying to pull up my calendar. Uh, so it will be the 23rd, June 23rd. So that night. Um, anything else you want to share regarding your journey? Um, any like words of wisdom for anybody who is either knows someone with pelvic pain or endometriosis or, or they have it themselves? Um. I, I like the, the, uh, I like, it's a little overwhelming. The, uh, Nancy's Nook fa Facebook yes. group. I'm so glad you brought that up. Tell everybody about that. Um, I can't believe that a Facebook group is my best source of information, but <laughs> right. it is, it is. And it was created by a woman. I think she was maybe a nurse to one of the pioneers in endometriosis research. And so she started this and it's a library. It is not a chit chat Facebook group. She doesn't allow people to comment. She barely allows you to post. Um, it, it's got a hundred thousand people on it. So you can't, she has to turn that off. Um, but it's a library. There's files. So go to the files and start an education. I mean, it is a lot of reading and maybe if it might, it makes me emotional to read about endometriosis sometimes. Um, so, you know, just give yourself time to digest it. Um, and then the search bar is incredible. I mean, you can just type in like whatever weird symptom that you're having, type it in and there'll be somebody having a conversation about it and with, with, you know, co like helpful comments. Um, not a bunch of, you know, nothing too much. Like she kind of keeps the, like the emotional stories out, but, but, all, but, but also keeping it real. I don't know. Like, so she's a really good job of doing that. Um, also you can type in any doctor and they have a doctor list to have approved it's for, if you were wanting to have surgery, but I'm sure those are also like good doctors just to have as gynecologist. Um, there are like maybe three or four in Nashville on that list. So yeah, it's, it's a good resource for you. You can type in your doctor name and then you can hear what other people have to say about them yeah. and their experiences, which is great. Uh, the other thing is medications. There's newer medications now that are being prescribed and you can hear the dirty, the good, <laughs> the side effects, all the things and what works and what doesn't work for other people before you go and say, okay, I'm just going to try it. Understand what you're going to be taking. Yep. And I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing this, but I will like, like there's not that many people that have this nerve pain. It seems like, and I will, if I find somebody in there, I will message them. And it is these strangers, these absolute strangers who, by the way, are in other countries as well, will give me so much, <laughs> you know, they will, you know, they just, they'll tell, they'll give me the resources. They'll give me their experiences. Um, there's just kind of a, you know, connection, I think with everybody with endometriosis. So. Yeah. yeah, it's a great resource. Yeah, that's Nancy's Nook for those of y'all that didn't catch it in the beginning. But it's a great Facebook group, and it really is. I love the search engine too because you can really get a lot of information. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. So glad you brought that up. I'm going through my notes because I didn't want to leave anything out. I think the big thing um, I want to emphasize is just how important it is to kind of optimize your health, whether mm -hmm. or not you do surgery. Um, getting your health in order before you go into surgery is going to create oh, better, yeah. better outcomes after surgery. And then yep. if you decide you're not ready or don't want to do a surgery route, getting your health in control and getting tools in your toolbox to help you manage and understand that there will be flare-ups and life happens and stress happens and our symptoms, no matter what they are, will always get worse in times of stress. So knowing you have tools to help calm some flares or put you in a better mental space is huge yeah. for understanding that you do have control again of your pain. Confidence in yeah. living. Yeah. And a good quality of life. Yep. Um, another thing is, and I'll probably put this video, even though it's kind of haphazard with me going in and out of my closet, but I probably will put it on my Tara Lotus Facebook page because I think it's important for y'all to see Erin, <laughs> to see that she looks and is a normal person. And so you would never guess that she has such severe pain. It's, you know, one of those invisible diseases. Mm -hmm. And so just understanding if you have a friend or a coworker who says they have pain, but they look like a normal, whatever that is, person, that they're probably telling you the truth and they might have more pain that they're dealing with on a daily basis than you understand. Mm -hmm. So giving people grace, giving yourself grace if you are the one struggling. But um, it's hard. It's, it's a weird thing for your friends to see you being active and normal but they, what they don't see is the weeks that you're not okay, but yeah. they think you're totally not. You're like, I have this debilitating disease, but then you look, then you're like going and doing things. That's confusing. I think to people, they don't understand like there's good days and bad days. <laughs> I think you're right. I think it's really important for people to hear that too, because they may just think you've been busy with life and that's why you haven't seen them or been out to dinner or whatever, but you've actually been in the bed. Yep. Okay, what else? Any last bits of wisdom? Let's leave everybody on a super positive note because you're doing well. Like, honestly, you have come so far. Like, I am so proud of you. <laughs> I know. I, that last report we did, I was like, oh, look at me. <laughs> and it was fun. So we did a reassessment. Um, I, it was about a year difference from when I started seeing yeah. to reassessment and to yeah. read where you were a year ago to where you are now. It just even blew my mind because I didn't – I knew that you had changed, but I didn't realize how many symptoms had improved. Yeah. I and think so even said my belly button had moved into their, I was like, my belly button was not in the right place. And now it is. Yeah. So her <laughs> like, funny was, thing, but it's like, that's a real improvement. <laughs> well, and that shows less pain too, because your belly button was pulling due to a lot of fascial restrictions that we've yeah. cleared and you have normal mobility in your abdomen, which is huge. So crazy. <laughs> so yeah, we kind of painted a very stark picture of endometriosis because I really want people to know it's a real thing and to recognize if they have it or if someone else has it, that it is real and the pain is real. But I also want people to see there can be improvement and there can be hope. Yep. And I think you're just such a huge testament to that. That's why I wanted to bring you on the podcast. Yeah. 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 So thank you so much, Erin. If anybody has any questions for Erin, um, message me and I will get it to her. I don't know if I want to share all your information right now on here, but message me. You can email me at Amy at the pelvic yogi or DM me, DM me at the pelvic yogi on Instagram. 
Um, but yeah, I love hearing everybody's comments. Um, and I want to, you know, like I said, hit y'all with as much education as I can. Um, focusing on endometriosis this week, I have another guest speaker coming up talking about diastasis, which I've gotten a lot of interest in. So I'm excited about that. But thank you again, Erin. I hope you have a great week and I'm sure I will talk to you soon. Thanks, Amy. You're welcome. Thank you, listeners. And I will talk to y'all next week.